Imitating, that's how we learn. We imitate. We imitate our parents when we're young. We imitate our older siblings. Been, I remember as a kid, we loved to play. We played a lot of sandlot football, and that was, uh, I always wanted to be Bobby Hayes. Bobby Hayes played for the Dallas Cowboys, and he was my favorite receiver, and I was always him. I was the second fastest kid in the second grade, so. <laughs> Matthew 10. I want to talk about the cross today. And where Jesus invited us to imitate his cross-bearing. Matthew 10, 24, the student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of the household? So do not be afraid of them, for there's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your, outside your father's care. And even the hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Just keep in, just I want you to understand and see here the tremendous significance that God is placing on your life. Think, just keep that in mind as we talk about bearing our cross. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother-in-law, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. There's certainly a lot of stuff in that passage, a lot more than we can even begin to, to unpack today. In fact, if you're kind of new to the Bible and it brought up some questions, please get in touch with me. I'd be glad to discuss any questions that passage brings up because we won't, we don't, not going to be able to explain all the questions that that passage brings up. But it, what, what the reason I wanted to read it out to you because I wanted you to see the seriousness about this thing called Christianity and the seriousness of being called to follow Christ. Jesus makes it plain that it's a very, very serious thing that you've decided to do. Now I want to talk to you today specifically about that one verse where Jesus says we're to take up our cross and follow him. I want to talk to you about the other cross in our gospel and why taking up your cross and following Jesus is the other half of the good news. 
For, for years, I heard about the other cross, and I only thought it meant suffering. And, and so that was something we wouldn't bring up to people when they first came to the church. We would wait a couple of years before we told them about the other cross. We just told them about the cross of salvation, the one Jesus died on. We would not talk to them about the cross of serving that was meant a sort of death for them. But I think that's a mistake. Jesus shared it with pre-Christians. He didn't share it with people who'd been Christians for 10 years. Well, now I think you... I think you're far enough along now. I think you could learn about sacrifice and serving and your own suffering. I think it's time you could learn about that. But see, the, the really important thing to know about this cross, though cross-bearing involves suffering, but it doesn't really mean suffering. Carrying your cross for Jesus doesn't really mean suffering. Everybody suffers for a variety of reasons. The parent who doesn't get a handle on disciplining their child and teaching them how to be civilized, that parent is going to suffer, believe me. And that child will make your life a living hell if you don't teach them how to behave. The, the, the woman that every week goes on a search for a doctor who will prescribe more opiates for her body because she has an addiction, that woman is suffering. Or the man who neglects his marriage and feels the sting of a wife who says very bitter things and, and does things to make him pay, that guy is suffering. So, but the, that, that doesn't describe carrying your cross for Christ. Uh, if, if the, in fact, if those people I mentioned, those little examples, uh, would, would bear their cross, it would have borne their cross, they might actually suffer less. You know, if, if you will bear the cross of, of carrying, disciplining your child, uh, you, you will have less pain down the road. But I believe this. I believe picking up your cross and following Jesus is all about figuring out what you're responsible for, and only incidentally about suffering. Um, many, when I grew up uh, uh, in my home and in, in my church, church was a big part of our life, went to church several times a week, and, um, and I, I still love the church today, partly because of that upbringing in the church. And, um, but we, we lived in the Bible Belt in North Texas, and uh, in our church would always be a number of of preachers who had their credentials to preach or ordained ministers who weren't doing anything. They were just sitting there. And they weren't going out and doing anything or going anywhere. And my dad, that bugged my dad, who was who was kind of wasn't he was a quiet guy and he wasn't gonna say anything at church, but he would say to me, as he began as I began to get interested in ministry, he'd say, Don't be like those guys, Phil. Go somewhere where you're needed. Now, he wouldn't have said that if he had thought I was going to go 17, 1800 miles away. You know, uh, but that stuck in my soul that I needed to go where I was needed and, and not to towns and cities where there's a church, uh, you know, an evangelical Christian church on every corner. And um, so... Sherry and I eventually that led uh, led me in my heart to go come to New England. And Sherry and I got married. Actually, moved to Florida. And probably people think that Sherry, oh, I want to go back home, but never. We, she never once said, "I feel like we should go back to New England." Never once. 
put any pressure on me to come back here. It was really, it was really me. It was really my heart. I came up here and visited this area of the country, and I saw that there's a, there's a place for me there. There's a place. I can feel that. And, and, and God began to deal with my heart, and we came back. Well, the, when I got here, though, I, I wasn't ready. Culturally, it was a very different experience for a 20-something-year-old guy to be where it was first so cold so much. And, and, and you know, I, Texas and Florida were the places I hung out, and I, I didn't even like cold weather at all. So, and, 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 and what really bothered me is I, I have a, a problem. I have a problem with mild depression uh, throughout my life. And uh, so, man, that, that gray that would come in, in in November and last until May and getting, getting dark at 4 o'clock every day and, and also came from a part of the country that's very conservative politically. <laughs> so you know what kind of cross that is to bear. <laughs> and and then, then pastoring people. I, I didn't really know. I, w- I didn't know that I was supposed to be a leader of people. I, I've, I actually told God I would preach. <laughs> I answered the call to preach. I wanted to preach and go out the back door and go home. But these people wanted to talk to me. It was so ridiculous. And it's just, it, and, and then, of course, you've heard me talk about, that was Henry. I had to deal with Henry. He was a guy who got on the board and, oh man, he, he drove me crazy. He's just always telling me what to do, you know, and telling everybody what to do. And he had the anointing of telling people what to do. All kinds of stuff, man. And, and I, I, just, I just hit the wall. I mean, we, we, God, uh, in spite of it, God really blessed us. And, uh, you know, Sherry and I, we, we took this church. It was downtown Westfield. And we were able to sell that building and go out of the edge of town and buy 22 acres of land, if you can imagine that. We got 22 acres of land. Here I'm a 20, we're a 20-something-year-old young couple. And we're about 22 acres of land. We rehab, rehabilitated this building. And the church grew pretty good. You know, we grew from, we had about 40, 50 people when we came. And we're up around close to 200 people. And it was going pretty good. But, uh, but I was not doing well. I was not. So I, I, I just, one day, one day I just, long, long story. I'll make a long story short. I just said, I've had it. I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do this. And uh, I resigned. And uh, I started to get a, a, a a hunch that God had a plan for my life and our our life, I should say. Both of us said, you know, Sherry never struggled. Reason I talk about myself because Sherry never struggled with any of this, and she's always the person she is today. In fact, uh, let me read to you this. You will enjoy this. A little note we got this week uh, from a, a world a lady named um, Pearl Field. She said, "Hi, I've been looking for you for 24 years. You both look great. It's been many years since Westfield." When you took over our small church, I'll never forget how young you both were. Then buying that building for a bigger church, love you guys, even though you were younger than me. Not used to a minister that young or new. We're so glad that you came, though. Sherry, you were young. You're a young Spitfire that was ready to clean up the church, but you were very caring. You just didn't like me smoking. <laughs> 
I'll never forget the retreat when we went on where I tried so hard to quit. You guys may not even get this, but I want you to know I've been thinking of you over the years. God bless. I'm now a part of a great church in Hartford, Connecticut, Crossroads Community Church under Bishop Terry Wiles. Take care. By the way, you both look great, and your son reminds me of you both from back in the day. Pearl Field. <laughs> they great. And, uh, what, you know, here's the first time it hit me that God sometimes has a plan for our life, and he wants us to pick up that heavy thing he's called us to pick up, and that's, that's our cross. It's not the suffering, but it's the thing that's the, that's the cross. It's the purpose that's the cross. And that church, we, had, we were up, whatever, 160, 175 people, which seemed terrible to me. I wanted a church of 1,000. I, 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 175, there wasn't enough people. I, you know, I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't grow faster and bigger and all this stuff. And it, that church went like that, down to 12 people. And it just struggled for a long time. I think it's doing pretty good now. But, so we went to Florida, hung out in Florida for a couple of years and did a few things. I did a lot of preaching in a lot of different churches and uh, some traveling. Um, ended up, just didn't know what to do. I, I remember... Uh, Jay and I were flying back from the Bahamas. I preached a bunch of meetings in the Bahamas. Not a bad place to preach <laughs> meetings, man, if you got to do it. <laughs> we had a blast. I mean, he was a little kid, four years old or something like that, and, and we rode mopeds all over the island. And we, we hung out on Hope, 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 uh, oh, I think it's uh, Hope Town. I can't get it right. But anyways, for Blackbeard the Pirate hung out uh, in the day. And we, we rode uh, uh, mopeds all over the place, and we had a blast. And we're flying back in this little, you know, single-engine airplane in the back of the bag. I was thinking, man, I got to go. I can't do this to my family. I got to go find a church. And whatever I find, I'm going to just take it. And I found this little church in Jacksonville, Florida. And oh, we weren't there four weeks. We realized this, this is not it, man. This is not. And, and here, here was this one day when, when, this one day when, when, when God um, uh, really got a hold of my heart. I'm out in that little church praying, God, I don't know what to do with my life. And I just, this is weird. This is really weird. And you're not going to believe that God told me to do this, but I think he did. To go look in the phone book. I go get the phone book. And he said, go look at churches. I counted 32 Assemblies of God churches in Jacksonville, Florida. 32 Assemblies of God. That's just Assemblies of God. And then like five yellow pages full of Baptists. And uh, then another six or seven yellow pages of, of Charismatics. And then I felt like prompted to go out to the car and check the radio out. So I checked the radio and I start going down the dial. I didn't have push button. I don't know. <laughs> I counted nine gospel radio stations. Now you're, you live in New England. You, you don't know anything about that, do you? And I walked back in that little office and said, God, I'm, I'm taking water to the sea. I'm going back to New England. That's That's where, you know, maybe I do have significance. Maybe my life matters somewhere. Cross-bearing is not as much about suffering as it is about significance. And by significance, I don't mean position, and I don't mean power over other people. The cross that Jesus says for you to pick up is good news because it spells out your importance and your and my significance in this world. Amen?
So, so let's talk about, for the rest of my time up here, let's talk about why the other cross. We, we know that, that that cross that Jesus died on is good news. Everybody in the room, I bet, knows that. That that first cross is good news because that's where your sins were forgiven. That's where Satan was defeated in your life. That's where your, 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 your debt was paid. For whatever your theology is about the cross, you know it meant good news to every single person. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's what that cross purchased for you. But what, and, and we know that's good news. But what about this other cross? The cross that Jesus said, pick up and follow me. Pick up and follow me. So the other cross is also good news because it solves the problem of meaning. And you're yearning for significance. This passage is about taking our earthly identification with Jesus Christ very seriously to the point that Christ would say, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. It seems that we have become increasingly embarrassed by this other cross. We've become embarrassed by it. We don't want to tell people about it. We've gone, I'm going to say this, and you're going to see it. We've gone out of our way to assure salvation seekers that Christianity only lifts burdens and never creates any. As though having a burden is bad news. We're anxious to tell people, as we should, about the cross of Christ that brings them salvation. But we're not so anxious to tell people about our cross of serving. The cross of Christ that saves me from my eternal damnation and the cross of earthly responsibility that saves us from meaningless are two different things. There's one cross that took Christ upon a hill that he died on. Then there's the earthly cross cross of responsibility that takes us to a place where goodness is manifest in our lives. And we discover that there are things in this world worth dying for. Having reasons strong enough to pick up a burden and a cause worth dying for means our life in this otherwise miserable world is worth living. Why are modern Christian communicators embarrassed why have we become embarrassed by the other cross? Why have we become embarrassed by what it represents? Yes, it represents meaning. It represents mission. And it even represents morals. And why have we become embarrassed by those things? Every great spiritual revival has found the other cross attractive. Every great spiritual revival, whether you go to Wales or China, or South America, or Azusa Street in America. Every cross, every revival has found the other cross attractive. No great Christian influencer from, from uh, C.T. Studd, the great missionary, to Mother Teresa, to Billy Graham. No great Christian influencer has ever shunned the other cross. They could all tell you a price that they paid to be who they were. They could all tell you a story of a decision they made. My mother used to always tell me these stories. She would tell the same stories over and over. And she used to always tell me the story of George Beverly Shea, who I know he doesn't mean anything to you, but to her he was he was a rock star, you know. And, and those of you that don't think that's funny, go on YouTube today and Google George Beverly Shea and listen to him sing. 
and you'll go, wow, that was a different era when George Beverly Shea was a rock star. But he was actually offered a huge contract to sing what we call worldly music back in my day. He was offered a huge contract to sing worldly music, and he had a little gospel radio show he was on every Saturday morning, and he told the people offering the contract, he said, listen in Saturday morning, I'm going to give you my answer. Saturday morning, they tune in, and George Beverly Shea starts singing, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold, and so on and so forth. You know, all the great ones, all the great ones paid a price. All the great ones says there's something worth more than life itself. Leaving the other cross out of our gospel sends the message that your life in this world doesn't matter. Only thing that matters is you're going to go to heaven someday. The only thing that matters is you're going to get some blood for your sins. And whatever you do, just go ahead and do whatever you want to do in the meantime. Because it doesn't matter. Because we're going to meet in heaven someday. I don't feel like that's a message of hope. Something about that is hopeless to me. That's, some would say nihilist. It's like, What? You're telling me my life doesn't matter? You're telling me that what I do with my time, what I do with my morals, what I do with my body doesn't matter? That I'm just supposed to wait on Jesus to come back and go to heaven? That, that makes no sense. We underestimate also the attractiveness of a cross-bearing religion. We're really the only religion whose leader uh, as far as I can tell, okay, somebody's going to say, Pastor Bill, that's not true. I, I, as far as I can tell, we're the only religion whose leader really tried to serve all of humanity. As far as I can tell, Christianity is the only religion where the founder is the hero in the hero story. And as far as I can tell, every other religion did not have a hero of a hero story, but simply, uh, albeit sometimes a great teacher, who simply said, do as I tell you to do. As far as I can tell, Christianity is the only religion where the founder and the hero in the hero story said, you must go and do as I do, and not just do as I say. Again, we underestimate the attractiveness of a cross-bearing religion. You know, one of the reasons that Karl Marx called religion the opiate of the masses is that he saw grace taught by the Christian church in such a way that it seemed to remove people's moral and social responsibilities. And a, 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 a contemporary of, of Karl Marx was Friedrich Nietzsche. And Friedrich Nietzsche is the rock star philosopher these days. Everybody talks about Friedrich Nietzsche. Listen, Tim Keller quotes him all the time and all these other people because he's... Uh, he, he was a powerful philosopher because he, 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 he was a Lutheran minister's son who rejected Christianity. And even though he was rejecting Christianity, he, he could see down the road and see what a tragedy it was that we were killing God. And people, people blame him for the God is dead movement, but he didn't really say God is, he didn't just say God is dead. He said, we've killed God and now what are we going to do? And he predicted, he predicted that millions would die as a result of our 
turning our back on Christianity, even though he didn't accept it. And here's what he said. This is a, this is, I think it's a really interesting quote, and it's going to go up uh, on the wall for you. The Christians have never practiced the actions Jesus prescribed them. And the impudent garrulous talk about justification by faith and its supreme and sole significance. It's only the consequences of the church lack of courage and will to profess the work that Jesus demanded. Did the church actually have a hand in creating this movement called communism that murdered 100 million people and Nazism? That murdered millions of people as well. See, Nietzsche believed that we, that we had removed moral responsibility from Christ's followers. See, Thomas Aquinas had written this book, wonderful book, and you should all read it uh, at some point in your life. He wrote in the 13th century called The Imitation of Christ. And, and Nietzsche talked about this, and he believed that we had watered down the idea of the imitation of Christ. Uh, I don't know if this son of a Lutheran minister was correct when he wrote these things in the late 1800s, but I know he would be correct today. We've got to stop being embarrassed by the other cross. It is one of the attractive things about our religion. It's one of the attractive things. Meaning, according to Christ, is when you belong to God and you delight that he is giving you a way to the world to save your part of it. Let me say that again. Meaning, according to Christ, is when you belong to God and you delight that he's going to sacrifice you, give you a way to the world to save your part of it. Stop looking for what will make you happy and start looking for what will give you your life meaning. I said, stop looking for what will make you happy and start looking for what will give your life meaning. The other cross is good news because it's within your reach and within your capabilities. Jordan Peterson, who's going around the world teaching people have personal responsibility. Isn't that amazing? I just, I just can't believe it. This guy... Is, is just shocking the world with a message. Stop whining and do something <laughs> good. I said, man, my mom and dad did that in my day. And uh, he says, uh, you know, stop, pick up your burden and stop whining. And this meme is going all over the internet with Jordan Peterson. One of them, he's, he's, he's pictured as Moses with the stone tablets. And, and of course, he's got 12 because he has this book called 12 Rules. And he's got the stone tablets and he's pointing his finger and he says, clean your room. Now, that, that is very significant. That statement is very significant because what he is saying to us is do what is within your reach. A lot of people don't do this. A lot of people won't do what's within their reach. They're always reaching for a cross that's not within their path. It's not on their path. They're reaching for Jesus said, pick up your cross, meaning it was, Jesus meaning meant that your cross is obvious. Your cross is right there in front of you. It's right in your path. You're having to step over it every day. You're having to step over your cross every day to get to work. You're having to step over your cross every day to go to church. You're having to step over your cross every day, pick up what is 
right within your reach. Amen? Right here in this room today, if you will look around after service, you'll see somebody that has no friends and nobody doesn't talk to anybody. Well, maybe that's your cross. Go pick it up. Walk across the room. And, and by the way, you did it beautifully last week. I'm just really proud of you and so thankful. And I, it was so much so that we're scrambling to try to go through all the names of people who signed up. We had a great response. Give yourself a hand for that. <clears throat> I say this, it, and this is principle, right? This is a principle. You know, there are some very disorderly people in their personal lives who do great things. Orderliness is a good quality, but industriousness is even greater than orderliness. But, so, so keep this in mind when I say this. If you clean your house, though, and make it beautiful, maybe you can clean your community and make it beautiful. If you, can, if you can lead your kids to behave well, maybe you can create a company or a church where people are well-behaved. If you can find one troubled person and use your hospitality and your words to help them get better, maybe you would, could do that for a dozen people or 20 people or 30 people or 50 people or 100 or 1,000. Just pick something or someone up for Christ's sake. For Christ's sake, pick something or someone up. Let's stop, by the way, let's stop telling people to imagine. Let's stop it and start telling them to open their eyes. I, I don't want to go to any more conferences where, where they, they tell me to imagine some grand thing. The cross is right there. The cross is in your house. The cross is in your yard. The cross is in your church. The cross is on the street that you live in. And we've taught young people to follow their passion. You better follow your opportunities and your skills. Because I wanted to be a wide receiver in the NFL. That was my passion. That didn't work out. But man, can I ever preach funerals? I'm one of the best funeral preachers around. And no joke, no joke. I'm riding him back from a funeral the other day, and I knew I gave it everything I had. I knew I really cared, and I really cried over that, that person. And I really sat with that family, and I interviewed them like I was a journalist. I want to know everything about that person's life. And I went home, and I prayed, and I, I agonized, God, give me something. And you know how it is. You know, it, mu it must be how an athlete feels when, when they... Struck them out, or they knocked the home run. That's the way I felt. I, I, oh, I did it today. I got. I said what God wanted me to say. I know that was helpful. And I'm driving home, and 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 I begin to cry, as I begin to think that's part of the meaning of my life. Part of the meaning of my life is that people know that when someone dies, they can turn to me, and I will help them. I will help them through the worst day that they ever imagined. If that's not meaning and purpose, I don't know what is. That's what's meant by the cross. That's what's meant by the cross. It's not about suffering. Yeah, there's suffering involved, but you're going to suffer anyway. You're going to suffer no matter what you do. You're going to suffer just being a human being. You're going to suffer. 
something bad's going to happen this week and you didn't even ask for it. It had nothing to do with you doing anything good. You were just minding your own business and it hit you like a ton of bricks. Forget about suffering. Let's talk about meaning. I'm going to give you, we're going to blitz. I'm going to give you a blitz this really quick and give you about six bullet points. Carrying your cross means you've picked up something that no one else was picking up. Carrying your cross means you've picked something that for you is weighty. I, I got to admit, I talked to some people, uh, uh, some people around, and there's just nothing in their life that weighs anything. You're just like, oh, did you hear who Bill Belichick just traded for? Oh, did you, oh man, that was, that was some game last night, huh? Yeah, I like to talk about that stuff. You know, I like to talk about that stuff too, but it, it has no weight. There's nothing weighty about it. What burden are you bearing? What person is depending on you? You need to show that you have some weight in your life. Carry your cross means you picked up something that you're going to own. It's your cross. It's not my cross. You know, some people, some people want to, will tell you they want to help do a ministry and they're going to give half of it back to you. Because it's not their cross. What's your cross? Carrying your cross means there's some suffering you have chosen that wasn't forced on you. See, getting cancer is not a cross to bear. But what you do inside the cancer can be your cross to bear. What you do with it. What you do in those waiting rooms where you're sitting with other people or they're going to go for therapy, they're getting ready to go for radiation just like you. Or they're getting chemotherapy just like you. What you do in that setting, that's your cross. But cancer is not a cross. Thank God it's not. Because, you know, Jesus was meaning I got to give people cancer and stuff like that. That's, that's, just, a, that's just a part of the, being human to get cancer. Carrying your cross means you have found your opportunity and embraced your capacity. You found your opportunity. You've embraced your capacity. Capacity is your load capacity, your stress capacity. Yes, somebody you know can work 19 hours a day, and you can work 10 hours a day. You work 10 hours a day if that's what you can do. If that's your capacity. Follow Jesus means you're going forward with your load and refusing to be stuck. Follow. Go forward. You're going to go forward. You're not going to be stuck. Following Jesus means you're going up the hill to consistently live out the death, burial, and resurrection. You're a survivor. Following Jesus means you're completely surrendered to where the thing you have committed to is taking you. You're not looking back. Following Jesus means you're being the right way, not just doing the right thing. You're not angry and you're not bitter because you're following Jesus. Finally, the other cross is good news because it forces us to resolve the tension between grace and works. But we aren't saved, you know, but we aren't saved by grace. But, but if we're saved by grace, I meant to say, why do we have to bear a cross? Well, let me look at two scriptures right quick. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one could boast. Now, that's what people, people, we use that verse when we just want to talk about the one cross. 
And even when we want to deny, there's another one we talk about their verse. James 2.17, though, says in the same way faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. What? Which one is true? How can they both be true? It's like we sneak works in the back door. We go, we, you're saved by grace and not works. Then we say, but oh yeah, if you are saved, you will do good works. <laughs> I thought about this. Man, I got a headache thinking about this. Oh, how am I going to explain this to the folks? Is it works or is it grace? What is it? And you know what struck me odd as I'm studying this, these texts? They didn't have this argument in the first century. The early church never talked about this grace versus works thing. And I thought, well, maybe this is it. Maybe it's really a dumb conversation. That's, maybe that's what you were thinking when you said it's both. Maybe it's really a dumb conversation. Because what, what if, you know, uh, Zach and, uh, where's, there's Zach. Zach and Megan are getting married, and, and, and I'm so happy to be a, a part of that. And, uh, and they're, they're coming for premarital counseling with me. And what if, what if, what if you, you, they came in to see me and, and uh, I, I said, you know, do you love her, Zach? Yeah, I love her. You want to get married? You want to spend your life? Oh, yes, I really love her. She's wonderful. And we start talking about the responsibilities of a husband. And every time I brought one up, Zach said, well, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> are, are you going to come home and let her know or, that, you know, when you're late and you're, if you can't come, you're going to call? No, I'm not going to do that. Are you going to be faithful to her? Are you going to still go out with other girls if I want to? <laughs> you know, and we just went down the list and anything that, that said faithfulness, Zach says, I'm just not going to do that. And I, I laugh because you couples, all of you, you do these, these, these tests with them. And, and the, the question, they always try to find out if a couple wants an egalitarian marriage or a traditional marriage. And I've never had a couple that wanted a traditional marriage. Every single couple for 30 years, they, they're going to have an egalitarian marriage. And I know it's not true. They don't plan to have an egalitarian marriage. Egalitarian means equal, equal authority. But that, that's, not, that's not true. They don't really, the, the woman plans on being the boss. And, <laughs> and the guy thinks somehow he will sneak around and be the boss. They don't play in an egalitarian. It's just a big lie, the egalitarian stuff. But no, I'm getting off track. Uh, <laughs> but I like getting off track. It's really fun. But uh, no, you, you would say that is the stupidest thing I ever heard, that he says he loves her, and he's taken by her, and he wants to till death do his part, but he's not intending to do one blessed thing that says love or, or fidelity. That would be crazy. It's, well, what about a person who says, Jesus died for my sins and I love him and, and he's the best thing that ever happened to me. And, and I say, well, I'm sure, you'll, I'm sure you're going to be regular in church. No, nah, I can't do that. I, I, you know, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you're going to want to volunteer for something and if, you, if Jesus died for your sins. No, no, I, I, I don't, that's, I'm not cut out for volunteering for things. Sorry. And, and I'm sure, you know, we, we, we're trying to raise some money. We need to, we need to put a new roof on downtown. And, and could you give an, an offering to that? No, I don't give an offering. No, I don't do that. What, what kind of craziness is that? 
And I'll tell you even a better illustration. Jay, I want you to come here a minute. And uh, I want you to just come here. And I want to, this is a, a, just another compelling illustration. I, I love my son more than life itself. And if, um, it, s seriously, even though I, I will say soon sometime, I'm going to kill you. I, I do say that. <laughs> I, I really, I really don't mean it. In fact, and then seriously, seriously, if, if it was a matter of you dying or me, I would die. I've lived my life. I would give my life. You live and live your life. That's, that's how much I love you and care for you. Um, what if there were some scenario, though, where everybody in this room, there was some scenario, and I've heard illustrations like this, and I can't really think of one exactly, but an illustration where, where he has to die so all of you can live. A train's coming or something, and, and, and he's standing there, and the only way you get to live is if I say, Jay, stay there. And he stays there, and he stays there, and all of you get to live because he died in your place. And after that happens, I, I come back to all of you, and you're just so grateful. And I say, you know, we're going to meet regularly to honor what this man stood for. And you go, no, I, I won't. I can't come to that. Those meetings... I just don't, yeah, I mean, you know, and, 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 and we're, we're our, and I say, and we're going to establish a foundation in his name, and this foundation, because he cared about youth, and this, cam, this foundation is going to mentor youth, and would you like to donate to that foundation? No, I, I, I couldn't care less about foundation, or I don't, I don't care what he did with his life, that was his business, and and I said to you, um, uh, we're going to, I'm going to, be, I'm going to be doing a video and I'm going to be talking about, because I knew him really well, and I'm going to tell you about some of the things about him that you didn't know. But I, so I want to teach you about some of the things that made him the great person, and made him a person who was willing to give his life for you. And I want us to consider, you might want to do some of those things, and you're like, no, I, I'm not interested in that video. And in fact, I just, I don't want to spend any more time talking about your son. I would hate you. I would be, I would be beside myself. What's wrong with these people? What's wrong with these people that I, I gave him my son? I said they could kill him so they could be, have to live the rest of their life and every bite of food they take and every time they play with their grandkids and every time they enjoy their children and every time they take a Sunday drive and enjoy it, it's because of what my son did for them. I gave them my son and they don't care. Forget that conversation about works and grace. It's a dumb conversation. God gave us his son. And all he's asking us to do is to live a life that honors his son. Amen? All he's asking us to do is that. Thank you. It's way above my pay grade to decide who's been reborn of God's spirit and who hasn't. But if you feel no compulsion to pick up something weighty, something that makes other people know his love, I wouldn't want to trade places with you when you stand before God.
2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Two things. Your cross, like your flag, is sacred. You know, if I came up here today and I took an American flag and I dropped it on the floor, already a bunch of you are freaking out. You can't drop that on the floor. And then what if I stepped on it? You would, you would stone me or something. Well, your cross shouldn't touch the ground either. You need to pick it up. Secondly, you can't separate your cross from following Jesus. If, if, you were, if you were driving down the road today and Jesus was on the side of the road and you, you had heard about his power and, and the fact that he could work miracles and you would think, I should pick him up. He could be helpful. But what if you stopped over to pick Jesus up and, and he, you said, okay, Jesus, get in the trunk because like a spare tire, I may need you. I may get sick or my family may have a problem. I may need to pray. And Jesus would say no. Well, okay, would you get in the back seat? And Jesus would say no. Well, okay, if you're going to be that way, get in the passenger seat. And Jesus would say no. I have to drive. I have to drive. You know how you define Christianity? Jesus is driving. That's how you know if you're a Christian. Jesus is driving. Now, this morning, we have communion available. We don't have prayer partners available. But I want you to, if you have decided that you want to follow Jesus and bring him into your life, you want to decide to let him drive and you want to pick up your cross, then we have communion in three places. And I just want you to, I'm going to say a quick prayer and then I want you to move into communion. And then you can go back to your seat. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that we would put Jesus Christ in the driver's seat of our car, of our life. Let him be the master and pick up that cross, that thing that would honor him, that thing that would make everything better in our life if we would pick it up and better for somebody else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's move, let's receive communion today.